Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Ankylosing Spondylitis Natural Health. My name is Michael Eisner. I'm your host, and today we have Nicole Sachs with us. Very excited to have her here. I've been listening to her um, her podcast, watching her YouTube channel, and uh, practicing what she preaches a little bit, and uh, I've become extremely interested and intrigued with what she has to offer. She is 46 years old. She's the mother of three, when di- and she was diagnosed with spondylosis thesis. Did I get that right? Close. Spondylolis thesis. <laughs> right. That's right. We even just went over that, but uh, spondylosis thesis. And she, close, uh, close again, I didn't get <laughs> It's okay. Go on. <laughs> okay. Um, she worked one-on-one with Dr. Sarno, so Dr. John Sarno, which is unbelievable it's really exciting um and uh through her recovery and then she worked alongside him and he referred patients into her practice so it's very exciting she has 15 plus years working as a psychotherapist her specialities are working with people who suffer from chronic pain low self-esteem and anxiety her website is thecureforchronicpain.com uh, her YouTube channel has the same name. Her book, The Meaning of Truth, you can find on Amazon, and she has an online course called Freedom from Chronic Pain. She herself was in a lot of pain for many years and is now living a pain-free life and is extremely passionate about guiding others to heal as she did. Nicole, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Michael. Um, I believe... Oh, well, just tell us right off the bat, what was Dr. Sarno like, the man? Oh, Dr. Sarno. He was a wonderful, grumpy, brilliant. <laughs> um, he, he was uh, like a father figure to me. My own father uh, died when I was 27. And when I met Dr. Sarno, I was about 31. And I just connected with him so well because he really spoke the truth and I understood what I needed to do to heal myself. And then when I was better, I contacted him and I said, how can I help? And he said, come into New York and speak on this alumni panel I have once a month at NYU. And so I started doing that and I would come in early and I would stay late and we would sit and talk and we just became really close. And then when I went back to work after having my third child, he started referring into my practice and I was in Westchester County, New York at the time. So I was taking his Westchester people, which was great. Wow. That is exciting. Cool. Um, well, oh yes. I wanted to mention to everyone right off the bat that, or ask you, um, do you have experience working with folks with autoimmune diseases? And you did say rheumatoid arthritis. You've come across quite a few. Yeah, absolutely. What I find with autoimmune disease, because I work with people with all different chronic um, illnesses, pain, different symptoms, um, a lot of what happens with autoimmune is that the symptoms are brought upon by stress and brought upon by an emotional state that is like either angry or scared or um, upset or irritated, any sort of repressed emotion coming up. And so what I found with people with autoimmune is when they work my program and they get their mind-body system into a calmer spot of rest and repair instead of fight or flight, they can go pretty much symptom-free, even though they still on paper have an autoimmune disease, just like I still on paper, wait for it, 
have spondylolisthesis. <laughs> but, um, and you know, if you took my MRI today, it would look the same as it looked 20 years ago, but I, I live with no pain. So that's kind of how it works. Cool. Very exciting. Um, so let's get a little bit of your history, your background. Um, I'm wondering how old were you when your symptoms began and what exactly were they? Like how did it manifest in your body? What did you feel? Well, when I look back, I had back pain from as long as I can remember. I had back pain as like a 10-year-old child. Um, one memory I always have is when I was um, getting dressed in the morning, it would be cold and I would kind of sit by the heater in my on my floor and put my pants on. And when I got up, it was difficult to straighten up. I remember that. Um, but I never paid it any mind. Anytime I was in pain for any reason, my parents would just say, you're fine, you know, it's growing pains or whatever it is. And so I didn't get scared about it. And when I was 19, I was a freshman at college and I was in a particularly stressful time. I was pledging a sorority and I just might, what, what you would might say it's a classic, my back went out. Um, I was just unable to walk. I was writhing in the floor on, in pain. I was, um, I was just like, it was, it was, it was unbearable. My parents had to come to school and bring me home. So that was like the first time I had a really acute pain incident. Okay. Um, was there anything going on stressful in your life or like what was your – anything that would have led up to, to something like that? Because I mean a lot of your work is you're talking about repressed emotions. So was there a buildup of anything like that looking back on it? Oh, yeah. A little one called my entire life. Um, <laughs> I, I think that all of us – First of all, there's not so so Dr. Sarno's term for mind body illness is called TMS, and um, there's pretty much no one in the world who doesn't suffer from TMS because TMS is headaches, it's back aches, it's if your knees hurt, your shoulders hurt, if you have stomach issues, if you have skin issues. All it means is the way our bodies manifest an emotional genesis, an emotional problems, you know, the, the repressed emotions that cause us to be in constant fight or flight. And, you know, it's, it's actually not as weird or scary as it sounds. You know, our, our nervous system serves to protect us. And if it sees the, the emotions as a greater predator than the pain, we're going to get the pain. It's going to be a safer option. And we do feel things in our mind the same as our bodies, and it's interchangeable. And I've learned this over many, many years of doing this work. So um, what I was going through is, you know, everything. Um, a really perfectionistic kid um, raised by a very critical father. My dad was an immigrant, and he really was like, you will be better than the average American child, which, of course, <laughs> for the average American child feels like not fair. Um and I was just, um, I put a lot of pressure on myself. There was a lot of pressure put upon me and just the way our personalities developed. Like I wanted everyone to like me. It was really important that I was seen as like a good person. Um, and so all of that kind of comes together. And when it reaches critical mass, something in your body goes. And normally it'll be someplace where there's a little bit of a natural opening for the mind-body condition to assert itself. And for me, because I did actually have a structural abnormality, even though it doesn't cause me any pain, that was where it manifested. Hmm. Um, something that just came up for me that I'm curious about what you think about. Do you think that like ankylosing spondylitis, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, TMS – do you, do you think 
Do you think it's a misdiagnosis? Do you think it all falls under the umbrella of TMS? Well, you know, I hesitate to get into a debate about, not that you're debating me, but I, I hesitate to get too preachy about this because people love to dismiss mind-body medicine because they say, oh, don't tell me it's everything. Don't tell me it's in my head. You know, it's, there's a lot of resistance that can take shape through that dialogue. And for me, it's basically like, don't get too worried about what is and what is not. If you're experiencing a chronic condition that has no cure, then what you need to do is be your own advocate. And I think that when people start looking into the mind-body realm with the very basic understanding that, of course, our emotions affect our health. You know, nobody would argue if I say, did you ever have a stressful day and get a headache? You know, whenever I speak to large groups of people, I always ask that question. Everybody raises their hand. And at the end of the day, nobody thinks they have a brain tumor. They just had a stressful day and they get a headache, you know, go to bed. It'll be gone tomorrow. What people don't realize is what pain becomes chronic. They start having to label it because that requires they see specialists. And so I don't necessarily think that the diagnoses need to be altered. It's more about how we look at our whole body health. Am I correct in saying that you fell into two different bouts of pain in your life? Is that correct? I would say two acute incidents, yeah. Two acute incidents. So how bad did things get the first time around? The first time around, I was removed from college. I was brought home. I saw specialists, MRIs x-rays. I was told I would most likely never have a biological child. I would probably not be able to play any sports, exercise on a regular basis. I probably wouldn't be able to travel. It was unwise for me to ride in a car for more than an hour because of the bumping of the car. It was like a death sentence, essentially. <laughs> right. And so it was really, it was dark. Yeah. But, you know, luckily I was young and I kind of listened and I panicked, but I didn't, I didn't make any sort of decisions about the way my life was going to be. I was kind of like, okay, well that really sucks, but I can't take this in. So I'm just going to live another day kind of thing. But the second pain incident, which was acute, which happened when um, my son was 10 months old, I had two children at the time. That one was, believe it or not, darker because I had learned about Sarno in between and had cured myself and had had those two babies but when I had the second acute pain incident, when, when I was um, trying to move my son and his baby walker um, from my deck to my driveway, that took a different meaning. Because first of all, I was a mother by then. And you get this incredibly powerful, protective instinct, like I'm not the only one I'm responsible for caring for anymore. And so it like was heavier to me. And second of all, all the Sarno stuff I had learned went out the window because I made a decision and I put this in quotes this time it was real, which of course is total crap, except I, I, that's what I just, that's what I decided in my head. And that's when I went down the rabbit hole of a year of horrible chronic pain and depression that was pretty bad. Right. And in that year you did a whole bunch of like, you resisted Sarno's work and what you had learned. And you, you went down the rabbit hole of uh, medication, of treatment, of. Yeah, I did it all. Right only to discover that what you had learned how many years before? Uh, like 11 or 12 years before. Right. That's a huge gap. In those 11, 10 years, um, what, like how much pain do you think you were in in between? Like, 
like rarely, you know, it would come and go. It would just be like, just like sadness comes and goes. See, this is what I understand now. Just like anger comes and goes, just like you have a good day and a bad day. One day you wake up and you're like, yay life. And the next day you wake up and you're like, I want to crawl in a hole. Like that's normal. And I would feel pain sometimes when I was in particular states of mind. But the acute incident that was like sort of the one that was similar to what happened to me in college, um, it really scared me. And I always say that chronic pain is an epidemic of fear. Um, it's not really about pain. It's about fear and meaning and the, the expectations we set as a result of being a person that is in pain. And so when that happened, that was just, that made it the hardest, I think. And, and going through all those treatments and none of them working and my pain just continuing to be bad was what led me to my darkest place, which was let, which thank God led me to the light, which brought me back into the arms of Dr. Sarno. What was it the first time around that you learned and why did you forget or why did you? Why I'll tell you exactly why. Okay. I, I, I didn't really forget. It's that I never did the work. Okay. So, so what exactly happened first time around? So the first time around, I read a portion of Healing Back Pain, which is Sarno's first, the no, second book. He had Mind Over Back Pain, Healing Back Pain, and then he had the Mind Body Prescription and then the Divided Mind. So I read Healing Back Pain. It's a basic book. There's no treatment chapter. And it just tells you, here's why you're in pain. Um, you know, and I'll summarize. Sometimes you feel things in your heart and sometimes you feel things in your body. And, 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 you know, if you're really angry, you can feel it in your back. And I got it. There was something in me that clicked. So I was really young. I was in grad school by the time I found Sarno. And I was like, oh, okay. So I don't have to maybe be scared that something's wrong with me. And I would attend to my feelings when my pain was up. And I would say, oh, I'm really pissed off about something or I'm really scared about something. And I would, I would talk it out in my head, you know, I'd be like, okay. And then 10 minutes later, when I would think about the pain, it would be gone. And so my body became my proof. And little by little, I, I left that doctor diagnosis behind that something was wrong with me. And I believed Dr. Sarno, but I never did the work. I didn't know what the work was at the time. Well, and it, can I just stop you there for a second? Say that alone is incredible. Like, I think like the fact that you were able to reduce your pain just with that understanding is miraculous. And well, it is. But if you think about chronic pain being an epidemic of fear, then it's not, it's not that unusual because I stopped being afraid. Okay. All right. So you didn't do the real work. I did. not. What's the real work? Well, the way I teach the real work is a, is a, practice called journal speak, which if anybody is interested, they can look at all the stuff you mentioned at the top of the uh, podcast. But, um, what the real work, ha what happened to me is when I had my second acute incident and I finally found my way back and I saw Dr. Sarno in person, I had never seen him the first time. I just read one of his more obscure books. Right. So, so when I saw Dr. Sarno in person, um, it was actually really adorable. I went into his office with like a novel I had written about every time I felt pain, when I bent, when I moved, blah, blah, blah. Like it was so detailed because that's the kind of student I am. And um, he took the papers and he never lost my gaze. He's looking at me in the eye and he threw it into the garbage can next to him. <laughs> and it, was, it made like this loud, like echoey noise as it hit the bottom of the garbage can and he was like, that doesn't matter. 
He's like, let me examine you. And he examined me and he realized that I had TMS. He said, I look at these MRIs. There's no way that this abnormality that they have found accounts for the way you describe your pain. None. It doesn't make sense. And so he explained to me what TMS really was. And he explained to me um, the journaling and the mindfulness that he prescribed. And I set out to do it like with, I always say I jumped in with four paws. Like I was in, I was not going to let this own me. If this was the truth, I was done being in pain. I was really resolved. Okay. So journaling and what was the other? Mindfulness. Mindfulness. So mindfulness, like the Buddhist practice. Well, I guess the journal speak is the most important. So essentially, um, what I teach people is a method called journal speak, which I discovered and invented essentially when I was doing my own work, because I realized when people journal, they don't really get to the heart of the matter because they're scared to tell the truth. I'm curious what, what, what has worked for, um, every, all of, all of Sarno's patients. Well, this is if they're, if they're journaling and then you've improved on it or you've enhanced it in some way or refined it. Yeah, I exactly. Like sometimes I like to say I evolved it because, um, Dr. Sarno and I used to talk a lot and he was a medical doctor. He knew this to be true. He had practiced for many, many years as an attending at NYU Rusk. He was just so brilliant, but his ability to explain it was lacking. Mm. And he used to say to me all the time, he used to, it was adorable because I was so young, you know, and I I really looked very young when I was 30, I looked about 12 (laughs) and, um, and he used to like bring me on stage and push me in front of him and say, Nicole, you explain it because I just had a knack for explaining it. Plus it's really a psychology kind of related topic, um, more than it is a medical one. And so I started, I I understood the journaling in a different way. And when I started to do it, the first time I sat down to do it and I was writing like really surface things, it felt like I wasn't telling the whole truth. And so I started getting really deep and saying really ugly things that I knew somewhere in my subconscious had truth and allowed them to rise because I always knew that what he taught people was that your subconscious needs to be aware of what you're consciously angering, being angry about, and then the pain signals will no longer fire. And so I started bringing up this really unspeakable stuff. And then immediately when I was done, I would throw it out. Now you say, how do all these people heal? They probably get to this on some level, but what I've learned through my many years of bringing this to the public, what people have told me, and it's like not to toot my own horn, it's just what I always hear, is that when they do it the way I teach, they get better more quickly and they stay better. Instead of having another symptom imperative or it pop up somewhere else, because they really clean it out. How long is the process, typically? They're, the average? They're, they're, yeah, you can't. Um, yeah, unfortunately, just... there's well, you just can't say that because yeah. what happens with people and you probably know this from your own journey. If you try to put a timestamp on something, people start watching the clock yes. and they start comparing themselves to other people. And they start saying, well, didn't I hear an interview once where Nicole said it was six months? Like, you know, so I really never do that. What I say to people is, listen, life is a journey and it ends when you die. And there is no such thing as a perfect life. And there is no such thing as being happy. 
You know, people say, I want to be happy. Happiness is moments, just like sadness is moments, just like fear is moments. You can hope for peace. You can hope for equanimity. You can hope for a gentle way of learning your lessons. And you can hope for lots of moments of joy and happiness, but you can't be happy. You can't be anything. And so when people open themselves to that process and just do the work and kind of ride the wave, that's when they get better most quickly. Why isn't John Sarno's work more popular? And I mean, and I mean, you're... I believe your work is going to be immensely popular. I think this all this is going to be catch is going to catch on immensely. Um, I'm just wondering, like, why do you think it hasn't caught on already yet? I think, first of all, I think true readiness is everything, and we're moving into an age in our society where we are more ready to embrace a mind body spirit process. I think that we had to get here, and I for my Dr. Sarno because he felt incredibly ostracized and he felt like a pariah in the medical community. And he was. People thought his work was crazy. And what's hilarious to me is it's the least crazy thing. Like he used to say, my work is more scientific than surgery. And when you look at what happens in the mind-body system, in the nervous system, if you think about basic fight-or-flight response, that our nervous system is literally designed to protect us without our permission. You will have a physical reaction to fear and run and jump and do whatever you need to do with adrenaline coursing through your body, with your cortisol way up. Without You don't say, I'm going to try to get my adrenaline up. It, it happens automatically because that's the way we're built to survive. And all this is, is your nervous system responding to what it sees as the greatest predator, which is your repressed emotions. So it will signal a pain signal or a symptom to bring you back to equilibrium because once you're focused on your pain, you no longer are focusing on the conflict and they, it's, seen as, it's seen as a safer option. You know, my hope is as people learn about this work throughout my lifetime that we will start evolving our mind-body systems that it's not safer to live in pain. But at the stage of evolution we're at right now, we can't choose whether to be afraid or not. We have to work to inform our, our conscious minds that we can feel our feelings and it's not, they're not going to kill us. Why are emotions a greater threat than physical pain? And like, I get it. I, like I get it now that once we face all those uncomfortable feelings, it is horrible. It is, it's intense for a little while, but it, it's not as bad as like 26 years of chronic pain. Um, however, I have also noticed that psychologically and emotionally, all that suffering was actually worse than the actual pain. Right. Um, so what is it? Like, why are repressed emotions, why are emotions something that our body are naturally, we are naturally evolved to push away, to hide from? You know, the best guess I have is that emotions are so much more complicated you know, if I, like my, my father died when I was 27, I loved him intensely and I hated him intensely and I was scared of him and I was tragically traumatized that he was dead and I was also relieved that he was dead. Okay. So this is normal, but that's really complicated. And without taking the time 
to either see a therapist or, you know, if you're going to work my journal speak program to work a journal speak program and learn how to get to those spaces of kindness for yourself within the conflict, it's really hard to sort out. And I think that if you're looking at it from a very simplistic nervous system fashion, where it's going to pick the greater predator, what I just explained to you seems a lot more scary than a backache. Why is it, do you think, we will come up with a million different reasons before, I mean, why does it take absolute, most of the times, like exhausting every possible um, possibility? And then, and then this, like when we're so desperate, this work will come up. When intellectually, I think when we explain this stuff to most people, they get it. They're like, yeah, that makes sense. However, they, like you, like me, will try everything else out there before coming here. Well, you know, I think that's a question that has to be seen through a lens of experience because we, you and I, I mean, you, you look young. How old are you, Michael? 39 years old. Okay, so you're 39. So I'm seven years older than you, but we're not far from the same generation. And our generation is the medical model. You know, like our generation is something's wrong with you and it's a physical thing, then the answer is physical. And we are really, really not trained to think in a mind-body way. So you might say, for most people that you and I would interact with at our age, that's going to be the norm. However, the reason that, I, that I'm going to play devil's advocate is I'm raising five children. So I have three biological and two stepkids. And they range in age from 11 to 16. And so we have this like kind of very intense, but also very great, full of love. I have have five great kids. They're really not hard to raise, but they're five people and they're complicated. And I watch what it's like to be patient zero. (laughs) My kids are patient zero. And what that means is they're being raised without that conditioning of the medical model. We go to doctors. It's not like I'm some, you know, naturalist or anything. But if my daughter who is in a junior and she's 16 and if my daughter is having problems with her boyfriend, she'll come into me and she'll go, "Oh, mommy, my back is killing me. I just got into a fight with, I won't say his name." You know, and like she, my kids first look for an emotional reason. My son was in the kitchen a couple months ago and he was holding his wrist and kind of rotating his wrist. And I said, what's up? And he said, oh God, I just have a lot of homework. I think I'm feeling it in my wrist. You know, so it really depends on how we're conditioned. Don't you think? Yes, I do. Okay, cool. Very clear. I appreciate that. Um, I want to go back to uh, this mindfulness that you discussed that Sarno brought up because it was two things you said that he uh, talked about. Could you just get a, a brief description of what that is, and do you use it with your uh, private clients? Yes, I do. So what I prescribe to people is um, to learn about a journal speak practice, which I've got a lot of stuff out there if people want to know what I'm talking about. And once they do, and once they implement a journal speak practice, to follow it by 10 minutes of meditation. Now, meditation, pe- people have a lot of fear around meditation and that it requires that they're like a Zen Buddhist and they sit quietly and they, they are perfectly attuned to themselves. That is crap. Like you have to put that aside and just try it because through meditation, 
when you quiet your mind, and even if half the time you're making your grocery list, it doesn't matter. Just continue to bring yourself back to your breath. There's tons of guided meditations out there if you'd prefer a guided one. Um, I love the app, the Insight Timer. Uh, It's called Insight Timer, and it's free, and you can get lots of meditations there. And you just sit, and it begins to change. I mean, any... um, even a scientist will tell you meditation changes people's neuropathways. And so they, you begin to have a calmer baseline. And also when you're practicing journal speak, it's required that you tell the full truth. And when you tell the full truth, that can be really, like you were saying before, really agitating and really um, difficult to know how you feel about everything and to come to, to try to come to peace with it. Meditation is a way of honoring ourselves, of quieting ourselves, of being in the moment. You know, if, if our whole point is to move from fight or flight to rest and repair, because symptoms aren't necessary in rest and repair, then we want to do everything we can to get there. Do you recommend before or after the meditation or before or after the um, journal speak, do you meditate? Uh, after. After you meditate right away? Right. So I usually propose a 30 minute practice where it's 20 minutes of journal speak. And when your timer goes off, begin a 10 minute meditation, 30 minutes of your day. Anyone can find 30 minutes. Right. And if someone's in a a lot of pain, I've heard you recommend twice a day, 20 minutes. Is that correct? Well, Dr. Sarno used to recommend half an hour. I think he said an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening. He recommended a lot. And when I did it, I literally started and I worked, I worked at it all day because I was so desperate to get better, um, which was great for me. And if you're capable and if you're really suffering with any chronic condition, I would recommend making this a project and doing it as, as much as you can bring yourself to do it. The reason that I say 20 minutes a day or at the, you know, at the most extreme 20 minutes twice a day is I don't want people to run away because they say I can't do it. I don't want people to feel overwhelmed. I need to make this a workable program for people that are busy and that have lives. But I will tell you that if somebody is like, let's say, on disability because they're in so much pain they can't work or something like that, my suggestion is go to my website, take my course, which is 14 lessons that can be completed comfortably in 30 days. Some people do one lesson a day, which will, at the end of the course, put you on a solid journal speak practice. You know, it's, it's like you, it teaches you everything with meditations, with written exercises, videos, all sorts of stuff. And then you get to the end and you're all there and then you can do it every day. I, I mean, I've seen people transform really completely. So it's pretty profound. Amazing. Um, what are the biggest differences you notice in people besides having no pain, uh, when they're done, uh, what other things have you noticed or have you heard reported about their personality, their lifestyle, their outlook on life? Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty moving to see what happens to people. Basically people go from being high, strung, anxious, worrying about the little things, ruminating about what's wrong or like how they have to control and fix things. They really start to find an inner peace that is, is very real and they are open to other people's imperfections because they're not resisting their own anymore. And they become really seated in themselves. They know who they are. I mean, a lot of people tell me that at the end of this journey, the pain is like the biggest, littlest part 
once the pain is over, it's about transforming who you are. And that, that's the greatest gift at the end. Mm-hmm. Is there any kind of processing besides just the, the journaling? Is there, or does it kind of just, the more you journal, the more you get it and it, it just happens. I would say the answer is yes to both. Uh, if people can't afford a therapist, journal speak program will be your tool for healing. I mean, absolutely positively. I also love when people take it and sort of um, supplement it with a weekly meeting with someone to go over their journal speak with them. And that doesn't mean you have to save your writing because one of the cornerstones of journal speak is you can throw it out right when you're done because it's just a practice. It's not something you need to keep, but you know what you've been going through and you can discuss it with someone. You know, I do have patients that, um, do like to save theirs. I say, if you're going to save it, you have to save it very carefully because the whole point of journal speak is that you're going to speak the blatant truth and nobody should read it, but you, because otherwise you'll censor yourself. And so if you do choose to keep your journal speak and bring it to your therapist, I would just make sure it's under lock and key because, you know, a person reading that might be really offended. And it's, that's the point is like, it's just to clear your soul. It's just to talk the truth that a five-year-old inside of you wants to say. Absolutely. Yes. That's a great idea. Dispose of it for sure. Yeah. Um, can you please explain your phrase or something you've said? Um, I've heard many times in uh, your podcast and your work, life, and I might have it, I hope I got it right, but you let me know. Life is the difference between what hurts and what hurts more. Is that your? It's so close. Okay. You're very, it is life is a choice between what hurts and what hurts worse. Okay. And basically what that means is that we live suspended in misery as people because we think there's a third option. We think that either we can have the husband we have, we can divorce the husband, or the third option, which is we can have the husband we have, but he's going to be all the ways I want him to be. And we live in that third option to our demise because we are angry all the time and we're sad all the time that we can't have things the way we want them. And then we try some sort of sideways way to, you know, make things different, but we don't practice any acceptance about what can't change. And I like to explain to people, life is a choice between what hurts and what hurts worse. You know, it's there is no third option. So if like, let's just say in my fictitious example, we're talking about a person who's in an unhappy marriage. It's either look at your marriage for what it is and see what is realistic to be changed within it with the partnership of your spouse or leave the marriage. That's it. Expecting for the rest of your life without any significant work for your marriage to just improve or for your partner to be different than he is, is the way people live in pain. Hmm. And, you know, it's and every single thing in life can be boiled down to what hurts versus what hurts worse. I like to joke around about eating a donut. You know, if I wake up in the morning and my kids are all having donuts, I could have a donut. It's a choice. And so I have to say, do I want the donut? Because it's delicious and I think donuts are God's food. Or do I not want the donut? And it just comes down to what hurts versus what hurts worse. I love donuts and once in a while I eat them. But if I eat it first thing in the morning and put all that sugar in my system without having any protein, I'm going to feel like crap. So I can think it through and be like, what do I choose today? And it's like, it's so simple, but people like to think, no, I'm going to eat the donut and I'm going to feel fine. And then when they feel like crap, they're all angry. (laughs) And it's like, it doesn't work that way. 
And I've heard you talk about it relating to like the physical pain and the emotional pain, like repressed emotion. Yeah, I think that probably what you're referring to is me just realizing or explaining to people that if you are going to feel things, you're going to feel, you would never wake up in the morning and say, I'm not going to be sad today. Nope, no way. You wouldn't do that because you know that you're not capable of not feeling sad if something makes you sad. Physical pain is the same. If we don't feel our feelings, it's going to somaticize somewhere. And so understanding that sitting down to do your journal speak practice might feel like it hurts. And it does. Trust me, it's not easy. Hmm. But I think being in pain hurts worse. And so you have to make that decision for yourself. Okay. So when people are writing, when they're journaling, do you recommend like you just go right into the, you know, into the for lack of a better word, the darkness, the shadow side, the uncomfortable topics, the things that you're ashamed and insecure and all that dark nastiness. You go right into it and when feelings arise to, to feel them, to allow them to be there, to have the bravery to cry, do you recommend relaxing into it? I know this might be in your online course, but... Um. No, listen, I think what you're saying is all accurate. I would I would hesitate to say just yes to that because it's so complicated and people who are in pain will listen to that and be like, wait, how do I go into the heart of darkness? You know, like it's, (laughs) it can be frightening. So I guess what I would want to say is the answer is yes. However, you have to start where you're at. You know, the, the mantra when you get your master's in social work is start where the client is at. And it's like, so if I'm sitting down to journal and you know, like you do, like you said, I do have it all in my course where you write your lists and there's a process by which people ease into this. And let's say I'm looking at my lists and I'm thinking about what I want to write. And I'm like, I can't even freaking look at those lists because I'm so mad at my daughter or I'm so worried about money or I'm so upset about my mother's illness or, you know, whatever. Then start there, right? Like it's not, it's about allowing your emotions to rise. And I promise you, you will get to where you need to go. Sometimes I start writing about something with like my kids and all of a sudden I'm back in seventh grade which is the age of my kids, like having feelings about what happened to me. Like, it's just about letting it go and letting yourself express. Mm, cool. What, what would you say your greatest obstacle in, um, you've encountered in regards to people healing? The greatest obstacle I've encountered? Yeah. Like a consistent, I would say the most consistent uh, obstacle to healing is resistance. Um, People are going to be resistant to healing because they don't want to think about what they don't want to think about. And because they don't want to think about that, what ends up happening is they hear a voice and the voice sounds like their own voice (laughs) because your thoughts in your head really sound like a great idea. And your thought says, I'm too tired for this or I'm too busy for this. Or, yeah, you know, I don't think this is working. Or I think I should call the doctor and get one more test. And that's called resistance. And that's just your fight or flight system kicking in and your nervous system saying, feeling these feelings is more dangerous. And you have to just fight it. You have to just buckle down and say, I am going to do this work no matter how I feel about it. If you persist, you will heal. But what you resist persists. <laughs> so if you resist it, you're going to have more pain. 
What do you think pain is? And why is it here? What's it here to teach us? I would say, you know, pain is here because human beings will learn nothing if they're always comfortable. You know, I, a friend of mine, she's actually a colleague who I've taught to, to work my program and as she's a therapist and she teaches others, she um, once posted something that said something along the lines of, a butterfly would never be able to fly if it hadn't built the muscles it built by, by getting out of its chrysalis, by, by fighting its way out of its chrysalis. You know, the wings wouldn't be equipped. And I think that's what pain is for. It's, it's, you know, the obstacles in the path are the path, you know, we have to learn and, 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 you know, as we, as we all know, if, if nothing ever challenges us, we'll just kick back. And then what's, what's the flavor of life then, you know, why do our brains and nervous system protect us with these symptoms? Well, I think as we've said before, if the symptoms are seen as a lesser predator than the emotional repression, it's simple science. It, it picks that because, you know, if, if the whole point of the nervous system, which is the primitive brain, the brain stem, the same brain that we have, it's similar to early man pretty much exactly, then it, it, it's there to protect us, to keep us alive. And so perhaps in 2019, the saber-toothed tiger isn't going to eat us, but getting a call from your mother-in-law makes you feel the same way then that's what, what's going to happen. We're going to get a headache. Now we can't talk to her. Now we're saved. What kind of attitude would you say you need to have towards pain in order to eliminate the chronic, chronic nature of it? That's a really good question. That's been <laughs> coming up a lot lately. And actually, that's a great question because my answer is going to probably surprise people. Um, I think the best attitude toward chronic pain is I don't care if I get well or not. <laughs> I think people are completely toxic with desire to get well and they're so desperate to get well they're sending the same nervous system signal which is we're not okay we're not okay we're not okay and it puts us into fight or flight even worse because of our desperation to be well when i look at healing and i say i you know of course i want to be better and of course i care if i'm better but you know However this goes, it's okay for me. I'm just going to relax. I'm just going to do the work. I'm going to practice acceptance. I'm going to operate with patience and kindness for myself. It is amazing how much more quickly people heal. The desperation for wellness is not healthy. Let go. Let go. Accept. Lay your weapon down. Surrender and do the work, and you will be well much more quickly. Incredible. In your career... Um, helping people heal from, uh, in this way, like what can you list off as many that come to your mind of conditions that you've seen people pretty well recover from? Oh my God. Um, I, there's so many on my website. I have a tab called, do you qualify? Mm -hmm. Um, and there's like a whole, but I mean, Okay, so let's see. All sorts of pain. Head, neck, shoulder, knee, back, elbow, foot, ankle, anything chronic when it comes to pain. Hip, um, stomach issues, irritable bowel, um, uh, psoriasis, um, migraines, fibromyalgia, um, as you said, rheumato rheumatoid arthritis, symptoms associated with lupus and MS in terms of flares. 
um, a lot of uh, pelvic issues for women, interstitial cystitis, um, vulvodynia, um, same for men, uh, you know, scrotum problems, um, uh, all uh, all sorts of um, like skin disorders. I've seen um, eczema go away. I've seen rosacea go away. It's really it's and and the reason why all these symptoms can be put in the same category is they're really interchangeable. It's wherever there's a weakness in your system. You know, I I, I am a person who always kind of got headaches when I was little. So you know, I get headaches sometimes. I'm not a person that ever had like elbow problems, but my mom had elbow problems because she was a tennis player. And so she would get tennis elbow and that would recur for her. So, I mean, it's really personal, but in the end, it's all the same. Mm. What about fibroids with women? Have you ever? I have not personally worked with women um, with fibroids, but I also know that a lot of female issues can be traced back to TMS. Okay. Do you think we went over a plan of action to get people well? Or yeah, let's, let's do it a little more because I know you were asking me about journal speak. And the only reason I keep referring people to my work is it's kind of too complicated to fully explain on a podcast. And since I have so much out there for people to learn, um, one of the first places people can look if they're not interested in investing any money up front, which I totally understand, is go to my YouTube channel. I have tons of free videos of me explaining this stuff in detail. Um, I have a, a series on YouTube called Healing Yourself 1 through 4 on the Cure for Chronic Pain, which is my YouTube channel that explains exactly how to do a journal speak practice. The people who take the course are the people that really want like a structure and they want me to be there personally holding their hand. It's a really, it's not obviously personalized because it's one course, but I really thought a lot about what people need to hear and I kind of guide them through it, but you don't need to spend money to do this. You can do it on your own. Um, if people have never heard of this work, I always recommend them either listening to the audiobook or reading Dr. Sarno's The Mind Body Prescription. He has several books, but I think the mind-body prescription is the simplest one with enough information to really educate people. Um, sometimes that helps flip the switch of belief because it's really important to believe that this can help you for it to help you. Our perception is so strong as human beings, and our perception is our reality. I watched your YouTube series, and I was so grateful and amazed at how much information you reveal. Like... Uh, Nicole, for our listeners, is not holding back at all. Like I believe that you're giving pretty much people everything they need to know if they're willing to do it on their own. And uh, I've interviewed people that have recovered from AS on their own just by following people's guidelines. They believed and they went for it and they committed to it 100%. So I thank you so much. I've started journaling and I think it's great. It's amazing. Um, and it's helped, it's helped me and, uh, I want to do a lot more of it. So, um, thank you very much for that. Is there any more you wanted to go over in terms of journalist speak? Um, let's see. I really just want people to understand the depths to which what we're talking about today is true. And if they are questioning and doubting they should just put that on the side burner and just agree to give themselves a month and let their body be their proof and just do this work without doubt. And if you have to suspend your disbelief instead of believing, that's fine. 
you know, sometimes I explain to people, if you were going into a fantasy movie and you were going to cross your arms the whole time and say, well, this could never happen. You're not going to enjoy the movie. Nothing about that movie is going to have any value add for you. So it's just about saying, I'm not going to fight it. I'm just going to say, if it's possible that stress can give me a headache, if it's possible that bad news can give me a stomach ache, if it's possible that anxiety can give me hives or that people who are about to perform on stage go and throw up, if it's possible that those people are not people that need surgery, then it's possible that my chronic repressed emotions can be causing my chronic problem and let me see if unearthing them is going to heal me. Because I'm telling you, this is like the meaning of life. Like I, I see it as no less heavy than that. This is so big and it's the reason for illness. It's the reason for the opioid epidemic and the horror that our world is going through. And it needs it. You know, we need to start reprogramming and shifting the dialogue around what it means to be well. I have one more question. Do you think um, journal speak would help? Like say someone's out there and they are struggling with um they have pain, but uh, they're they're stuck. They're stuck. They're depressed. They're stuck in their life. They're they feel insecure, low self esteem, um, very low motivation. Um, they feel lost, jealous, insecure. All these things. Uh, do you think that this would help with that as well? Journal speak. Well, you know, Doctor Sarno always said that depression and anxiety are TMS equivalents. And I have heard people come through all of that doing journal speak work. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else you think we left out you'd like to include? A message for anyone that you haven't said already? Um, I don't know if there's a message. I guess I just want to say that this is your life. And if you want to heal, it has to come from your willingness. You know, um, I always say people sometimes hear these theories and they go, oh, give me a break. That can't work for everyone. And I say... Maybe so, but I believe it can work for you. How long would you like to suffer? You know, how, how important is your life? You know, don't worry about everyone. Don't worry about what you've been taught your whole life. Like, how about you want to feel better so you do the work? Um, and I will say, just for your listeners, if they are in there anywhere near the East Coast, um, this summer I am having a five-day retreat at the Omega Institute in upstate New York. And we're going to be doing like serious, awesome, like trans transformative work. So if anybody, um, the Omega calendar, um, doesn't come out, you can't sign up until March, but people can mark their calendars. If they want to work with me directly, that is going to be a big, big one. The first time I'm going to do a real headline of retreat. So that want to put that out there. Really exciting. Yeah. Omega, I've, I've looked it up and it's, it's an incredible place. Um, great rooms and a great location and is probably be an incredible time. Yeah, it's going to be really awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to thank you again, Nicole, and everybody. Um, at the top of the episode, I list where you can find her, all her resources, and I will put that in the description below. So definitely look her up, uh, listen to her some more, um, and give this a good shot. I think it's really very valuable and a beautiful practice. Um, and everyone have a great day. All right. Bye-bye.